You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week saw the publication of a series of research papers about harm reduction for injecting drug users. Injecting drug users are still the most at risk from HIV infection. The practice of sharing needles means that 50% of users in Eastern Europe carry the virus. In many countries, there are effective programmes that help prevent the spread of the infection. Needle exchanges and opiate substitution programmes have meant rates of infection in, for example, the UK, have been drastically reduced. In this week's podcast, we'll be looking at harm reduction programmes in two places. Firstly, in Edinburgh, where Roy Robertson is a GP, and secondly, in Ukraine. Roy and his colleagues have published a research study looking at 25 years of methadone treatment in Muir House, an area of Edinburgh, which saw some of the earliest and highest rates of HIV infection in the country. He talks about the effect that harm reduction programmes have had on the population he serves. Sometimes government have been behind practice. You know, we've sort of been inventing and trialling and experimenting with new practices. Mm-hmm. And government has, you know, has, I think, done pretty well, but has struggled at times to keep up with all that. In Eastern Europe, HIV amongst IDUs is chronic and was particularly high in Ukraine. As a result, in 2006, the government allowed a few opiate substitution and needle exchange programmes to begin. Earlier this month, Richard Hurley, one of the BMJ's reporters, took a trip to Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, to visit a group of NGOs who provide HIV services in the country. He met staff as well as injecting drug users and sex workers to find out how attitudes towards harm reduction programmes are changing. So which drug is this? Homemade opiates. Homemade opiates. From from Poppy Strong, yes. But before all that, I have David Payne, BMJ.com's editor, who's here to talk about what else is coming up online. Hi, David. Hello, Duncan. Well, you've talked about Richard Hurley's From Our Own Correspondent type piece, which is later on in this podcast. But um, I also wanted to flag up a video that we're hoping to publish online early next week, which is also about HIV and injecting drug users. It's a, it's a very hard-hitting video, and they're putting it online in advance of the next week's AIDS conference in Vienna. There's some very arresting images in there, and we've got some interviews with epidemiologist Elizabeth Pisani and Jerry Stimson, who's director for the Centre for Research on Drugs and Health Behaviours, um, Tim Rose, Professor of Public Health Sociology at the London School of hygiene and tropical medicine and they all talk about countries that have got very progressive policies surprising countries like Iran where you think needle exchange programs wouldn't be uh, very apparent but apparently they are so I've just seen today's sort of first rough cut I was very intrigued by that and uh, I'm looking forward to it going online and hopefully getting some response great and is that all that we've got next week? So I imagine we'll probably run a, uh, an HIV-related poll on bmj.com. We often do that. And I know one idea we've floated is in advance of the conference in Vienna is whether the huge cost of hosting these events, and they're very, very useful and get people from all over the world going on, but uh, could that money probably be better spent on harm reduction and on treatment? So um, we'll see what goes online next week, really. But obviously, it's, uh, it's worth thinking about. Thanks, David. Thank you, Duncan. And we'll be looking forward to them next week. Roy Robertson is a GP from Edinburgh. He and his colleagues have published a paper, which is now available online on bmj.com, looking at opiate substitution programmes in Muir House, an area of Edinburgh in Scotland. They followed a group of injecting drug users over the course of 27 years, from 1980 to 2007, to investigate how long they kept injecting for and looking at their survival rates. They found that opiate substitution treatment and injecting drug users in primary care reduces the risk of mortality, with survival benefits increasing with cumulative exposure.
They also found that the treatment does not actually reduce the overall duration of injecting. Roy joins me in the studio to discuss some of the implications of his research. Okay, for a start, Roy, what's the methadone treatment programme like in the UK? Where is it and what does it aim to do? Um, methadone treatment is uh, is interesting in the UK because uh, we have a, a different system which is largely based in primary care and most systems around the world and most countries that use methadone and have substantial opiate problems have centralised systems run from special clinics by specially trained people. In the UK everybody, every GP and every doctor, every qualified doctor can prescribe methadone. So it's a wonderful system for getting this sort of treatment to every corner of the, of the country. And does it um, manage to reach lots of people then? Yeah, it does. It reaches uh, you know every part of the country, um, and it does provide the additional advantage of of managing complex cases where the specialist takes uh, the the major part, perhaps where there's there there may be psychiatric problems, there may be multiple medical problems, and and very you know, straightforward cases of which there's very many straightforward cases of methadone maintenance or methadone treatment in the community, which can be easily managed in in a routine general practice situation. Yeah. Now, your study is looking at a specific bit of Edinburgh, Muir House. How big was the injecting drug use there? Muir House is uh, an inner city estate, and there may be 100,000 people living in that locality for various reasons, that we can make, some of which we can explain, some of which we can't. There was a huge amount of injecting heroin in our locality in the early 1980s, which led to an epidemic of HIV infection, which was fairly unique. I mean, it was unique in Britain, so we had a special sort of concentration in the Muirhouse estate, uh, which created a huge amount of interest and focus on this cohort and really sparked off a lot of the sort of national policy changes and the, the events that led to the, the situation we're in now with um, harm reduction and um, needle exchange and provision of methadone and all these things that we take for granted now. Yeah. Now, you mentioned there the changes in policy that have taken place over the the time that your study's been running for the last 25 years. Did that have a big effect on your cohort? It did. It had an effect on all of us. It's been extraordinary, really, to look back at where how far we've come since the late 1970s and early 1980s. Um, and it's partly due to the fact, like I said, there were small numbers then, so the, the, the population of drug users was quite easily managed by a few specialists. Uh, but now, and uh, what we see now is it's, it's largely in communities, and it's in small communities as well as, uh, as urban communities, um, and policies had to shift and had to shift quite rapidly. And we've been, again, quite lucky having infrastructure. General practice is a sound infrastructure across the country. Psychiatric services are available across the country. And, and the link-up has been, you know, I think, one of the great successes in treatment services and in, in psychiatry and general practice. But policy has, has to be driven from the top, and uh, government has had great difficulties, I think. And sometimes government have been behind practice. You know, we've sort of been inventing and trialling and experimenting with new practices. Mm -hmm. And government has, you know, has, I think, done pretty well, but has struggled at times to keep up with all that. Um, having to change policies, successive health ministers have found it a difficult area. But I mean, I think to their credit, they've you know they've they've allowed and they've facilitated services, and over the last twenty years, put in a lot of investment into this area. Now you said that over the course of this study, governmental attitudes towards people who are injecting drug users have changed enormously. Do you think they've come far enough? 
drugs policy depends uh, on politics and depends on international politics. And we just have to see what happened with the cannabis rescheduling debacle of a few years ago when pressure was brought on the government to, to, to put it back to, to Class B uh, after it had been rescheduled to Class C. Uh, everybody's got an opinion. And what we need is more evidence and more robust evidence. And I think that's what we've tried to produce here. And I think the evidence clearly aids policy. It aids decisions about whether or not you, 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 you support methadone treatment and how long you support methadone treatment. And it, in some ways, it blows away these sort of um, rather sort of facile arguments that you can prescribe methadone for a few months or a few years and then just stop it, withdraw treatment and say you've had enough, you know, it's time you gave up. I mean, that uh, to me has never been a realistic policy. And, and we show from our study that it's far from realistic. It's very damaging and it would increase the number of deaths quite substantially and over a short term. So I think it's a huge help for policy at a government and a local and a, and a debate level um, to have studies like this. And you can read that study, Survival and Cessation in Injecting Drug Users, in full online on bmj.com. Now, Richard Hurley has been to Ukraine to look at some harm reduction programmes there. In just over a week, researchers, academics, doctors, policy people, social workers and campaigners will be travelling to Vienna for the 17th International AIDS Conference. Some key topics on the agenda will be the sometimes forgotten population of injecting drug users, the concepts of harm reduction and why political will is not always behind these principles. Eastern Europe and Central Asia have some of the fastest growing HIV epidemics in the world. In 2008, an estimated 1.5 million people in the region were infected with HIV. The epidemic is being driven by injecting drug users, sharing needles. Despite there being good evidence that harm minimisation practices work and that they can reduce infection rates, these programmes are illegal in some countries and under-resourced in many more. Ukraine has a particularly severe epidemic. I visited the country last month to meet some of the NGOs and drug users to see how harm minimisation programmes there are tackling the problem. Let's start with some background. The drugs injected in Ukraine are primarily homemade opioids and amphetamines, as Pavlo Smirnov, a deputy director at the International HIV AIDS Alliance in Ukraine, explained. As you'll hear when I spoke to some drug users at a needle exchange project, the manufacturing process is simple and the ingredients are readily available. If you go to any projects, you'll see like these older guys, you know, who used opiates. And there is a whole generation of drug users who use stimulants, like methamphetamine, which is also homemade. It's called Vint in Ukraine. Uh, it's almost like crystal meth, but it's a little bit, uh, it's one less... Uh, process technology so they don't crystallize it they put it in fluid and inject so it's uh, much easier and technologically to, to do it and people like to inject so the users usually gather here because in this house the drug is sold so which drug is this Homemade opiates, homemade opiates. From, doing from poppy. poppy straw, yes, from poppy straw, which grows in Ukraine. So it's a local, it's not Afghanistan, no, it's local. Homemade people grow it in their gardens, then use this poppy straw to extract some opium and clean it, but they, it is half clean, so it is not heroin, it is half clean. Uh, 
The Alliance in Ukraine is an umbrella NGO that receives grants from the Global Fund for AIDS, TB and Malaria and distributes the cash through grassroots organisations. The Alliance makes funds available for antiretroviral drugs and clean needles and enables community organisations to recruit doctors, nurses and outreach workers to target drug users and commercial sex workers. Harm reduction in Ukraine is still in its infancy and attitudes take some time to change from policymakers down to the police on the streets. I spoke to Pavlo about how the authorities' attitudes affect his work. Most of drug users also, especially female drug users, involved in sex work. Yeah. A lot of sex workers use drugs, so it's kind of interlinked. Yeah. And both uh, these groups are uh, on other side of the law out of society. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for government organizations of all the different levels okay. uh, to work with them because uh, the uh, body uh, which is responsible for prevention among risk groups on the, like a state level, they s- still don't want even to include the word sex work in their official documents because it's kind of leg- legalization. Of, you know, okay. you accept the problem, you accept that it exists, right. Only official outreach they can provide is through police. You mm-hmm. know. Like, police is going <laughs> to yeah. places where drug is used and uh, where sex workers uh, stand on the streets. And we know that this outreach is not effective intervention because they just uh, put them into the jail or you know, beat them, take some money and so on. And have any of the programs had problems from the police? I mean, now we have police actually closing one of the substitution treatment sites in Odessa. I yes. heard about this. Yes. And we have a doctor imprisoned, actually now, who is under the trial. So, and is this um, this is un- this is unusual? This event, it's not. It it's not unusual. I mean, it's a little bit uh, too much, I think, because nobody was imprisoned yet. Uh, but there was uh, pressure from police, uh, from Ministry of Interior, uh, Interior Affairs, a long time ago. From the beginning, they're very oppo- oppos- uh, opposing the substitution treatment. Uh, security service, everybody, like all the enforcement agencies there are like, no, there cannot be no substitution treatment. The main poli- poli- argument of enforcement agencies is that uh, we don't want to have drugs uh, provided because it's a kind of legalization of the drug use. And uh, I mean, for society, what, what people hear is that the government becomes a drug dealer, you know, like a big... So I think the NGO uh, response is the only way to go to these populations. Is it, does Alliance lobby um, government and can communicate with police and, and try and change these attitudes or even change the law? The, at this point, the only organization which is trying to do it is Alliance because it's in our work plan. Mm-hmm. We need to provide the substitute treatment. We believe that it's effective way. And, and most NGOs working for quite a long time, they find their ways into local official government. You know, they can deal with it. I mean, because they know people, you know, this like yeah. brother or sister and yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> police official. And I mean, you know, it's like everywhere. And, but, but still, it's really, I mean, it's really hard to change things. Mm-hmm. Ukraine's story isn't entirely without hope, though. Slowly, attitudes are changing, and some of the programmes that the Alliance has funded have helped shape that. I met some social workers from the Step-by-Step Group for Young Stimulant Injectors, a needle exchange programme, 
and what had happened there exemplified the progress made. We had a curious incident when at the local municipal newspaper there was a, an announcement made by the police uh, saying that uh, one the, a drug dealer uh, was uh, arrested and they found lots of clean syringes there and the syringes were branded uh, with the name of this particular organization. But we cooperate with the police and we have some positive results. Uh, we organize uh, training courses for uh, the police. Okay. We inform them about HIV and uh, drug abuse, how they should conduct themselves with IDUs, what you have to do to protect yourself uh, from infection. And they respond positively to воспринимают с энтузиазмом вот ваши наставления so the political situation is changing for NGOs they're increasingly being allowed to carry out their work without hindrance providing care for the injecting drug users of Kiev the alliance's work does seem to be making a difference the rate of HIV infection is slowing and new cases of AIDS and deaths from AIDS are falling. But how are things for the end users of these services, the people who are habitual users, ignored by government and targeted by police? One morning I visited the Vertical Group's centre in a Soviet-era block in a suburb 10 kilometres to the west of Kiev's city centre. There I met a man walking with a stick and surprisingly wearing an England football shirt who wanted to tell me his story. Uh, his, name, his name is Dimitri. He started using injection drugs 25 years ago. He's 40, when he was 15. Uh, the USSR was still alive. I walked this path to today and I want to share my vision. And I'd like to tell you about these changes. Because of drugs and other crime, I served 10 years in prison. And in 2000, I found out that I am actually positive. And before uh, GF uh, provided support for Ukraine and gave some money, the state. I could not cope with the situation. In 2000, a yearly, an annual course uh, treatment regimen for ARV was $12,000. I lived with my mom in a two-bedroom flat. I needed to sell my flat to get that kind of money. Uh, now the situation is different. When the Global Fund supports those programs, uh, I get my ARV for free. And there's also SMT with methadone. Uh, I don't have to go to the streets. I don't have to steal. 
and, and now I'm a fifth year uh, university student and uh, I'm becoming more socially adapted. Uh, since the independence, Ukraine did not really change its legislation. Drug use was prosecuted, but now it is uh, changing somewhat. And there's a change in attitude towards drug users. I believe that it's because not because the Ukrainian uh, government wanted that, but because the international donors pressed the government to change its attitude. Richards has also written a feature that will be coming up in the next week, as will the video that David mentioned earlier. We'll also have a few more articles looking at drug policy all around the world. That's all for this week. Next week we'll be looking at steps that can be used to try and prevent suicide. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.